take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter number 12. Before the service, Valerie, she said, I thought you were doing Romans 9 today. I said, no, Romans 12. And she said, well, I protest. And she's not in here right now. <laughs> she protested in the flesh. She said, I'm going to the back. She's back helping in junior church, children's church back there. I thought it was so funny because I didn't... <laughs> All of a sudden, she took off. I thought, wow. Why? I was like, why are you complaining? You're not even going to be in there to hear it. <clears throat> you guys can laugh at that. It's okay. She's my wife, not yours. <laughs> I got to deal with it later. Genesis chapter number 12. Genesis chapter number 12. Now, the Old Testament has famous characters in it, and the stories of these people's lives are written according to Romans 15, are written for us to learn from. They're written, Paul says, for our instruction that through endurance and through the scriptures, we might have hope. So today I want to take the story of Abraham as a story of hope for you and for me. Abraham's background, if you get to Genesis chapter 12, you see this man Abraham, or Abram as he's called in that part of the Bible. You see him come on the scene and Abraham was the son of a famous idolater whose name was, whose name is, was Terah, T-E-R-A-H. You can read about him a little bit in Joshua 24, 2. It mentions him as this famous idolater. According to the Jewish uh, Midrash, which is a uh, kind of a collection of Jewish stories, Terah, in addition to being an idolater himself, that's Abraham's father, in addition to, to being an idolater, he was also involved in the manufacture and sales of idols, of gods. So he made false gods and idols. And there was a particular occasion while uh, Terah went on a journey. Abraham was back at the, you know, meanwhile, back at the ranch. He was tending the store. And while he was there, some say that's when God called Abram to leave his father and his father's house and to follow him into an unknown country. And they say that may have taken place while Terah, who is a dominant figure, was out of Abraham's life. He was absent. And when Abraham heard the call of God, that Abraham, this is a traditional story, that Abraham, to show his devotion to the true and living God, to Yahweh, that he went into the storage, the storehouse where all the idols were kept, where all the inventory was, and he took a stick and he broke up all the idols that his father had made for, for sale. And when he got back, his father was somewhat uh, upset <laughs> about that. And so it got him in some hot water for a while. Now, what happened to Abraham is he heard God's call. He heard the voice of the Lord. Genesis 12.1 The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God called to Abraham and said, I want you to follow me. But in following me, I want you to know that there's going to be a blessing. There's going to be a benefit for following me. And he says, I, if you follow me, I will make of you a great nation. And anybody who curses you, I will curse. And anybody who blesses you, I will bless. Now that is a magnificent offer. That's a great promise from God. God says, follow me, and this is what's going to happen in your life. And what does our friend Abraham do? He follows God by faith. He shows us by his own example that when God calls, we should follow, and that God can be trusted. And so Scripture says that Abraham, he journeyed 
down south. He went south to the place that God was leading him. He took with him his wife, Sarah, or Sarai, as she's called here, and they went south. And when they got down to Canaan, Abraham found a place. He found a little area that he liked pretty well. And the Bible says that he built an altar there, and they began to worship God. And it was built near a place called Bethel. And the word Bethel means house of God. So he built a little altar near a place called house of God. He builds a place of worship. Probably for the first time in Abraham's life, he is experiencing real, true worship, where he's worshiping no longer an empty, dead God, but now he's worshiping the unseen, true, and living God. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, say amen. If you can remember pretty good when you became a Christian, it was kind of thrilling, wasn't it? To know that you've been redeemed, that you've been reconciled, that your sins were forgiven. To know you'd passed from darkness into light, that you've moved from death into light. It's a great thing to be a Christian. And I can remember as a, as, a, as a teenage boy, when I became a Christian, how thrilled I was. Because for the first time, going to church wasn't a drag. It had been a drag my whole life. I was either being drugged there <laughs> or being drugged to the back for a spanking when I got there, <laughs> when I misbehaved in church. I didn't like going to church. I didn't like family worship where my dad would read the Bible to us. My dad always read the Bible to us just before supper. What a cruel man. The vittles are on the table, and he says, now let's read. And my dad would read and read and read and read. And you're like, Dad, this is getting cold, man. You know, you're thinking about sneaking over there and getting, getting a biscuit. <laughs> just all that stuff. I didn't like any of it. Camp meetings, revival meetings, special meetings. It just was, I just didn't care for it. But when God saved me, man, it really, it really was thrilling. I looked forward to going to church. I sang since I had been redeemed with a new fervor because I had been redeemed. I was, I was new on the inside. I was, I was happy about going to church. Now, Abraham here, he is experiencing true worship. He's worshiping the true and living God. But then something happens. Look at your copy of God's Word. Look at Genesis 12, verse 10. In verse 8 of chapter 12, he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Verse 10. Now, there was a famine in the land. So Abraham, Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? 
Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. And they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So Abram went up from Egypt. He and his wife and all that he had. And lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. He journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Something happens in Abram's life that causes him to make a shift. God said, go to this place. Go to this place and live there. Go to this place and stay there. This is the place of promise. This is the place of blessing. But then something happened in Abraham's life that caused him to abandon the place of blessing, to go to a different place. Abraham drifts away from the Lord. And here it is, back to church Sunday, we're calling today. And I'm talking to you about getting back to where you ought to be. And I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to show you from the Scriptures How one of the greatest characters in the Bible was just like you and I. Something happened in his life and he crumbled and drifted away from God. But God in his mercy and grace was not done with Abraham. He brought him back to himself. God is not done with you either. You may may be one of those people who drifted away from God, obviously. Or you may be one of those people who drifted, drift, who drifted away from God secretly. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows that while your body is here, your heart and mind are in another place. You might be one of those two groups of people. And I want to show you from God's word how things ought to be, how things are, and how God will work To bring you back to himself. I'm going to show you from the scriptures. That even though Abraham crumbled. In this difficult time. I'm going to show you. that, That how he got back to the God. Who didn't. Who wouldn't. And who couldn't give up on him. And that's what we've just read about. First of all. There's a famine that comes. And it's the famine that turns him. Towards Egypt. The reason Abraham left the land of promise, left the land of Canaan, was because bad times came. A famine comes. And a famine is the absence of food. It's the absence of water. It's the absence of security. It's the absence of joy. We all go through times of famine in our life. Now, in my own particular life, there have been times when my bank account has been nice and flush. And then times when it's been nice and low. And there's been a few times when it's passed from the black into the other color. (laughs) There have been times when I've swiped the debit card and wondered, is it going to (laughs) work? There are good times and bad times in the lives of God's people. There are times in your life when you enjoy magnificent health. It's like you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And then it's like every little germ and bug that comes along You get it, and you can't get well. It's just always there on you. We go through difficult seasons in our life. And those difficult times 
can have an impact on us. Now, the reason Abraham goes from the promised land into Egypt is because it looked like life was easier down there. And so quite practically and quite reasonably, he headed for a better place. There's a famine in the land where he's at. He looks over and sees it's better over there. I'm going to take my family and I'm going to move over there where it's better, better for us. Things are going to be better off for us. But this turn away from what God had said to do to this other reasonable direction had some impact on his life. It had some, some influence on him, you might say. Now, Egypt in the Bible is very often a place that God tells us we should avoid. It's kind of a, a typological truth that Israel is a type of the world. And usually, we say Egypt represents all that opposes God. And that's probably true. As you look at the nation of Israel, it's of, of Egypt itself. Now, my friends, when hard times come, we should turn towards God, even if it seems futile. Now, let's be honest. Have you ever felt slightly disappointed and annoyed with God? I know nobody wants to say yes to that. But I have been more than once. There was one time in Kansas, I was, I was praying about some particular matter. And man, I was praying like crazy. I went to my pastor and I said, said yo, dude, what should I do? And like all good pastors, he said, why don't you pray about it? And that's not what I wanted to hear. Is that what you want to hear? Pray about it. No, I want a four-step plan to success. Tell me how to achieve what I want here. And he said, go pray about it. And so I'm out there, and I'm walking down, I was walking down a walking trail, and I was praying. And man, the more I prayed, the madder I got. And I went off, I went off of the trail, that in the woods a little ways, got down on my hands and knees, and I was praying, and just I was just saying, I was just trying to, I was just laying it all out there for God. And I was getting madder by the second. I got so mad that I grabbed handfuls of dirt and just started throwing them in the air. Because I was upset. I didn't like what God was doing in my life at that time. And I was, what I was praying about was I, was wanting to go, I wanted to go pastor a church. And the Lord was shutting every single door. And I was mad because God wouldn't, I was mad because God wasn't opening a door so I could go be a pastor like he called me to be. Then fast forward about a year later, guess what I'm doing? Pastoring a church. And I'm walking down a trail in the woods, and I'm mad at God for making me a pastor. (laughs) Because that's just the way things go, isn't it, sometimes? Frustrated with God when he doesn't give us what what we want, and then we get what what we wanted, and that doesn't make us as happy as we thought it would. Sometimes we get frustrated with God, and we think there's no point here in turning to God, but we need to turn towards God even when it seems futile. We should turn to Him in faith. We should seek Him, and the Bible says, if you seek me, you'll find me. I will be found of you. God has made Himself available to us. He's made Himself findable. But Abraham, he turns towards Egypt because of this famine. And when he heads down to Egypt, he says to his wife, he says, tell the Egyptians that you're my sister. Now, why does he do that? Well, he does that primarily because fear has overtaken him. Fear is a fascinating thing, isn't it? Fear is a motivator. Fear will keep you going forward. Fear will keep you active in doing things. 
Fear is a tremendous motivator. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that Noah moved with fear, being warned of God to build the ark. God said, build the ark. I'm going to destroy the earth. And Noah, he said, build it. Yes, sir. He got busy building it. He moved with fear. Have you ever moved with fear? My dad used to move me with fear, man. He would tell me to do something. He said, you get that done or else. And it was like I had rocket boosters. Could really get it done. When I was a kid, we used to go ring doorbells and run away. Anybody do that? Ring and run. Ding, 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 ding. And I have ne- you never run as fast as you do then. You can leap tall fences in a single bound. I mean, it's just a great thing. It's motivated by fear. Now, Abram's fear overtakes him. Now, fear is not necessarily a bad thing, but misplaced fear is bad. If you put your fear in the wrong place, it's going to hurt you. Psalms 19.9 says, the fear of the Lord is a clean thing. If you fear the Lord, it will keep you clean. And if you fear the Lord, it will actually clean you because the fear of the Lord pushes you towards Christ. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, Psalm 19.9 says. The fear of the Lord motivates us. I mentioned this already. Noah was motivated. Noah heard from God, and because he feared God, he built an ark. And because he moved with fear, the Bible says he became the savior of his house. He moved with fear. Now, my friends, that's an interesting thing to see. Noah moved with fear, and who did he save? He didn't save the world, but he saved his own house. Who do you want to see saved more than anybody in the whole wide world? Your own people, your sons and your daughters, your grandchildren, your brothers and your sisters, your moms and your dads. He moved with fear. He's heard what God said and he obeyed God and saved his house. Take that to heart sometimes. The fear of the Lord, Scripture says in Psalms 111 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. In Proverbs 1, verses 7, and chapter 9, verse 10, say the same thing. Putting God in, in his rightful place in your life is the first step to wisdom and knowledge. If you fear God, if you have reverence for God, it'll cause you to take God more seriously. This is one of the, one of the major problems in Christianity today, is Christians don't take God as seriously as they should. They don't take God seriously. We're all, we're all kind of, you know, we've been, uh, we're, we're, now this is my own personal problem too, because I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, I don't know what you call it. I don't like to take stuff seriously, because sometimes it gets me down, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I'm just kind of, let everything I don't, want, <laughs> I don't want to tell you too much about me because you don't even like me anymore. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, a pro- it's a problem that's in our character sometimes. Sometimes it's a personal thing. Some people are very serious about everything. And they're very just, if you give them a job to do, they do it. If you give me a job to do, hey, it's going to be done. <laughs> and if I get a D on it, that's fine. <laughs> But we have to think about taking God seriously. 
this is something that I find myself having to do all the time, all the time, all the time. I have some very close friends who are Christian Sabbatarians. You guys know what a Christian Sabbatarian is? They believe that the Lord's Day on Sunday is reserved only for worship, Bible reading, and prayer. And so on, one of the, on a Sunday, I, I, I preach for one of my friends in Kansas who's a Sabbatarian, strict Sabbatarian. They didn't cook on Sunday. They had some food. They, they had food they made the night before, put it in a crock pot, and all they did on Sunday morning was plug it in. They didn't do the dishes on Sunday. They left them in the sink. On Saturday night, we've been playing, uh, you know, playing board games and different stuff. On Sunday, no more board games. All we could do, all they, all, all they did, we sat around and talked to each other. What a horrible thing. <laughs> they didn't want to talk, and they wouldn't talk about anything. They wouldn't talk about sports. wouldn't talk about fishing or hunting, just spiritual things. We did, we had, they had little singing times together. All they sang were the psalms. Very strict. Very strict. And they were very strict because they took the, the, the command to honor the Lord's Day very seriously. More seriously than I. In fact, I, I preached for him that morning and on the way home that afternoon. Valerie, she said, Terry, I'm dying for a Coke. And I said, well, we'll stop. I'll stop and buy you one, but don't tell anybody I bought it. Because they didn't believe going to the store on Sunday either. I said, we've got to keep it secret. And then, uh, and then that night, we got back to these people's house we were staying with. And I think it was, um, Meg Matthew was down there. And... Uh, was it, was it Matthew? I can't, I'm trying to remember this story. They, uh, they, me and Valerie, we went upstairs and we took a nap. But the kids were still downstairs with, the, with their kids, this family's kids. And, <laughs> and they said, okay, kids, come into the living room. Time for sermon review. <laughs> and they quizzed the kids about the sermon. And Leslie and Lacey, they're disappearing upstairs quickly. But old Matt. It was just Leslie. <laughs> a couple of the kids got stuck in Sunday afternoon sermon review. It's bad enough to have to hear a sermon. It's a special kind of purgatory to have to have a test on it. <laughs> me, and Valerie were, me and Valerie were upstairs just sleeping away. <laughs> I had no idea. They honored the Sabbath day all the way till midnight that Sunday. At 1230 in the morning, because we were up talking with these people, at 1230 in the morning, one of that guy's kids said, hey, since the Sunday is technically over, can we play, get the, Nintendo, get the Nintendo out and play it? And he's like, you know, let's just keep on honoring the Lord's Day. You know, at some level, that was very annoying to me, but they were taking it very seriously. There, there's, we need to learn to take God more seriously than we do. And I'm not advocating for Sabbatarianism, but it wouldn't hurt us to take God more seriously than we do. Now, Abraham's misplaced fear here in chapter 12, his fear, his fear is misplaced because it's not the fear of the Lord. What Abraham suffers from here is the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says this, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. A snare is a trap, and a trap is a bad thing. And when you put your fear in the wrong place, it will get you in trouble. Remember as a teenager when you feared more than anything being laughed at and mocked by your friends? It didn't work out too good for you. Now because of misplaced fear, Abraham asked his wife to tell a half-truth. Now it's a half-truth because Sarai was his sister. She was his half-sister. Now that's extremely repulsive to us today in this culture, but in that time, culture, in that place in history... 
It was not as repugnant as we find it today. He says, I want you to tell a half-truth. Because of your beauty, you tell them you're my sister. Because if they find out you're my sister, they're going to kill me. That's fear talking. He's afraid. Albert Barnes says this. He says that up until this moment in Abraham's life, he had been obeying God, and therefore he was fearless towards man. But when he began to disobey God, fear creeps in. Because he's no longer on the right path. He's on the wrong path. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says this, The wicked flee when no man pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. You know, my friends, when you're not right with God, you don't really behave like you ought to, and you live in fear. But when you are right with God, you're a different kind of person. There's a different kind of boldness that you have. There's a different kind of confidence that you have in the Lord. Albert Barnes goes on to say about Sarai, he says that though she was 65 years old, she was still beautiful. And he says the contributing factors to this beyond exceptional genetics were that she'd had no children, she was the wife, the wife of a wealthy man, and she lived a relatively easy life. But she's beautiful. And five things happen here. First of all, it puts Sarah in a bad spot. Because she's forced to lie. That's a bad situation for a wife. Her husband is asking her to do something that's not right. And, what's his, what, and why does he say to do this? Because they might kill me. Well, she must have loved him deeply because what does she do? She goes along with it. Barnes says that she sacrifices her honor for his safety. What a, what a, what a thing. She sacrifices her honor for his safety. This kind of thing is not uncommon to women. Because women, they love their husbands and families in a special way. A wife, a mother, will do things for her husband and children that a man would just say, hey, let him die. The love that a woman can have for her family is so magnificent. It's it's incredible. My grandma Basha would talk about her mother. Because my my great-grandpa Chronic, before he became a Christian, was a drunkard. And he would drink up the the family grocery money often. And then she would cook a chicken for herself, him, and their six kids. And she would divvy up the chicken to everybody. She gave Grandpa the breast because he was the king of the the domain. Everything else was given to the kids. And my grandma said she would see her mother picking through the bones after dinner was over, getting just whatever she could for herself and never complaining about it. Never upset. What, what, What an incredible woman. And Sarai, here she is. Abraham says, I want you to tell this lie. She she knows the consequences. She knows what could happen. She knows all the possibilities. And because of love for him, she lies. It put her in a tough spot. (coughs) The second thing is Abraham actually loses her. Because when Pharaoh finds out she's just a sister, boom, 
He takes her as one of his wives. And in my opinion, what saves her from becoming his sexual partner is in that era, when they brought in a new wife to the, to the harem, women had to go through an extensive purification process. If you're curious about that, you can go to the book of Esther and read chapter 4 and read how before, uh, what was that girl's name? Before Esther was wed to the king, she had to go through a lengthy purification process because kings are special people. They have to be honored. The Cambridge Bible for Students and Colleges says this story is much abbreviated when Sarah goes into Pharaoh's household. But it is implied that she sacrificed her honor for her husband's life. Number three, Abraham is enriched. Now, one of the commentators say this about verse 13. Abraham says, Say you are my sister that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Who is Abraham interested in here? (laughs) He knows what a hot commodity a beautiful sister is in a culture where they buy women. So here he is. He's drifted away from the Lord, and now he's taking his own wife, and he's cooked up some kind of scheme to benefit himself off of her. What a thing. What a, what a thing. You see how he's, his turning away from God has caused him to do things he wouldn't even dream of doing. And my friends, when you turn away from God, you don't know what you'll wind up doing. You don't know where you'll wind up at. You don't know what you'll find yourself involved in. The third thing that happens is Abraham is enriched by Pharaoh. The fourth thing is, is Abraham gets humbled. Because when Pharaoh takes Syria into his household, the Bible says that God sends plagues. And Pharaoh says, these are not just regular troubles. These are divine troubles. There's some big problems taking place here. And he calls in Abraham, and he says, you lying dog. You said she was your sister, but she ain't. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Now, my friends, there's nothing worse than when a Christian gets gets a sermon from a non-Christian about what kind of Christian they ought to be. Doesn't that sting? I worked at a factory one time, and I didn't realize I I I I was doing this. Because, well, let's just listen to the story. I was running a machine, and this guy came walking past who I did not like at all. I didn't care for him at all. And the guy came, and I was training a new guy, a new guy to run my machine so I could do something else. And this guy came walking past, and I said, oh, man, look who's coming now. And I said, yeah, this guy's no good. He's worthless, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the guy I was working with said, Terry, I'm kind of surprised to hear you say that. I said, why? He said, aren't you a Christian? You're not supposed to talk bad about people? I said, dog, let's go outside. And I'm going to show you what a Christian punch feels like. (laughs) I felt so humbled in that moment. He just shrunk me right down to nothing. And I realized, man, I can't be talking about people like that. i got to be a Christian even at work. (laughs) 
Not just on Sunday, but even at work. So Sarah says, what are you doing? Now, think about how humbling this is. And God will humble you. Because he promotes the humble, he resists the proud. And the last thing that happens here is Abraham gets out of there safely, and God gets him out. Notice who says go. Verse 19. Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Now, why didn't Pharaoh just say, hey, I'm going to kill you? And marry your widow. This could have happened. But God preserves Abraham. Because God's not done with Abraham. Abraham goes back to Bethel. Back to the place where he had worshipped God. Back to the place where he was supposed to be. He goes back to where he'd been before. He goes away from God. He crumbles under in hard times. He drifts away from God, does things he shouldn't do, is involved in things he shouldn't be involved in. God gets him out of it, and he goes back to God. Back to God. And God receives him there. Now, here are some questions for you, friends. Abraham goes back to where he'd worshipped God before, and here are my questions for you. Have you gotten away from God? I mean, out here on the, out at the, in your hands, in your life, but it all begins in the heart. Have you gotten away from God? Have you become indifferent towards God? Has something happened to you or in your life that's caused you to crumble? Has a friend or loved one said things to you to get you to look critically at God or to think about God in a different way? These things can happen, and they can happen to any one of us. It happens to pastors, deacons, faithful church people, grown-ups, kids, young men and women. Any of us can drift away from God. And the Bible is full of examples of people getting away from God in their personal lives, in their connections to public worship. How is it with you? How is it with you? Now, the good news is that when you drift away from God or if you run away from God, you can come back to God, and the good news is God will have you. God will take you back. The greatest story of this in the Bible is Jonah, where God says, Jonah, I want you to go down to Nineveh and preach to those people. And Jonah says, no way, God. Jonah pays good money to get away from God and to get away from what God wants him to do with his life. And what does God do? The Lord comes after him. The Lord seeks him out from heaven. The good news is if you drift away from God, you can come back to God. Abraham goes back to Bethel, back to the house of God, and there he calls on God. We know that God still cared for Abraham because in verse 14 of chapter 13, here's what God says to Abraham after he comes back. Listen to the reading. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. 
This is what God says to Abraham after he crumbles, after he goes into Egypt and lies and connives. This is what God says to him. Because God's mercy is very deep. God's grace is very broad. The Bible's filled with examples of servants who backslide and come back. David and Bathsheba, Peter the Apostle, John Mark and the Apostle Paul. The Bible is filled with these stories of great men and women who drifted away from God, but God brings them back to himself. So my friends, God in his love for you has orchestrated this moment in time for your benefit. Now I believe in a thing called I don't want to use any technical terms because technical terms can alienate people. But I believe that the Bible is true in Ephesians where it says God works all things according to his own purpose. Right? So today is back to church Sunday. We want to have a real big attendance. I don't think we had a real big attendance. I think we had a good attendance because you guys are here. When I, when I wrote this sermon, I thought there'll be, there'll be people who will, get, who will be back to church you know, and those people are going to need to hear that sermon. Well, if God superintends all things, guess who needs to hear the sermon? Y'all do. <laughs> all of y'all. So God has worked it out to be this way so you can hear this sermon. Because guess who needs it? You need it. I need it. We need it. If you're drifting away from God, if you have drifted away from God, he is, He's orchestrated this moment in time so your phone can ring in your soul. So God can speak to you about these things. If you've drifted from Him and it's just in your heart and nobody knows it, or if you drifted from Him and, and it's already in your life and you're doing things you shouldn't be doing, Cry out to Him in prayer and recommit your life to Him. And you can be restored in a moment to Him. Or it could be that maybe you're not a Christian. And as I've been talking about these things, about loving God and honoring God and fearing the Lord, that inside your mind you're given a constant eye roll to everything I'm saying. Maybe you have never put your faith in Christ. Well, today, in Christ's stead, I am calling you to believe the gospel. Put your faith in Christ while you can. While you can. There's that story in the book of Acts where Peter or Paul is testifying before the, the king, and he says, almost you've persuaded me to become a Christian. When I have a more convenient season, I will call on you. When I have a more convenient season. Well, I, I've dug around through church history to find out if that person ever did become a Christian. And if he did, it's not recorded in church history. It's not recorded in the, the journals of Josephus or Eusebius' church history. It's not in there. Maybe it's written on some, some page of some obscure book in a foreign language I can't read somewhere. And man, I hope it is. But I don't think it is. So that guy, when he heard the gospel, he said, almost you persuade me, but not quite. And when his heart was soft, he pushed God away. Don't do it. 
Don't do it. Call upon him. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Jesus will save you. And if you've gone away from him, Jesus will have you back with joy in his heart. Now let's pray together. Father, I pray your blessing upon this sermon. We entrust it to the hands of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray.